Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Judges 17, 1 to 13. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make the idol, and it was put in Micah's house. Now this man, Micah, had a shrine, and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, Live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since this Levite has become my priest. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. And um, once again, if you're here for the first time, so happy to have you around. And um, or if you've not been here in a while, would really want to encourage you to stay, stay behind, and uh, just talk to the people around. Would like to know you more. Now we've been doing a series, and we've actually come to the end. Today is the final sermon on that series. Um, it's called the Anatomy of Sin. And so, before we get into the final message, can I just pray and let's ask God for His presence. Lord God Almighty, without you, we would not understand. We would not be able to see. We want to see this transfigured Christ um, so that at the end of this message, we can say, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, my King. So we ask for your presence. We ask your Holy Spirit to be here, move among us, to convict, to convince, but to move our wills to live better for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have um, a confession to make. I like food. I do. I like food. Food is good. Amen? Amen. Food is good for us. I don't know what plans you have for lunch or whatever, but I'm thinking of going for dinner with my wife somewhere because I like food. And food is actually amazing for me because 
This thing that we say we like, you often think you have to process it to be able to get the taste you want, which isn't true. What is an apple? What processing do you have to give to an apple? All you need is to toss a seed into the ground, and up comes an apple, and you wash it. It's the one thing you have to do and eat it. Well, we're Nigerians. I know we don't wash. We just take it in. After when you get to the hospital, you'll be wondering why. But, you know, apples, oranges, mangoes, you know, you don't have to do anything. It's nice on its own. That's the way God gave it to us, and it's fine. Now, it's the same thing with things like yam, potatoes, rice, but you just have to boil it. But it's not like you're adding anything to it. As they are, God made them that way, and they are nice. But here's another amazing thing about food. It's when you mix it together. You see, the apple, the grapes, the pawpaw, the... Um, um, the, um, the I already said good, berries and the um, pineapple. When you bring them together, what do you have? What do you have? A fruit salad. Fruit salad is nice. Nothing. You just put it together and they just somehow blend together. Same thing when you bring vegetables together. You put them, toss the tomatoes, toss the lettuce, toss the, I don't know, the sweet corn, all of those things together. And you have what? A vegetable. No, don't do that again. No, don't do it. Don't listen to him. I don't know what he said. He said in the first service, don't follow him. Don't submit to him that way. What? <laughs> Why did I even allow you? He said afang. No, you have a vegetable salad, right? And we love them. We, 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 we love those things. But I don't think, when you think about those mixtures, yes, that's for all you people who are fit farm or what have you. When we talk about mixing food together, I know we cannot do better than do do and what? To do and what? They're like five and six, isn't it? I don't understand how these beans that you put, pamole, everything, and do they couldn't look more different. And yet, when you put them together in your mouth, something just happens. Like they were meant to be together. When I take my dodo and beans, in fact, I do the mixture before they get, it gets to my mouth. You know, you press the dodo inside the beans, mix it. Uh, wonderful. Right? Wonderful. Okay, if you don't like that one, here's the one I know you will like. Another that they go together like they, they were ordained from the foundation of the world. What do you eat on Saturday morning? Because if you don't eat this on Saturday morning, there's something wrong with your house. I'll tell you straight. What do you eat on Saturday morning? What? No, no, no. There's no certain, no, there's no certain akamu, pap, whatever. Ogi and akara. Ogi and akara. Ogi and akara. Wonderful, right? Sometimes you can bring in moi moi and all of that. I know a place in, the, in uh, one restaurant in VI. They have this wonderful, they put prawns inside the akara. And then you can dunk it inside coconut-infused ogi. Hi. Oh, my word. That's life, guys. This is life. What I'm basically trying to say is that when mixture is done well, when mixture is done well, things can be phenomenal. Amen? Now, that brings me to an issue that I need to get off my chest. I do need to get this one off. Turn to your neighbor and say, choose your friends wisely. This is really, it's a real serious thing. Because I do have some friends. They are wonderful people, wonderful people. But they've done so many. I've learned from them. They inspire me. But they've, they, they grieve me. They grieve me at times. And Yemi and Faye, Yemi and his wife, I need to talk to you guys. You see, guys, you cannot mix Ogbono and Egusi together. No, I'm sorry. no, 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 you can't. And they do that. You can't mix Ila and Efo together. They are not meant to. No, they are not meant to go. 
They are not meant to go. But here's the other thing. I need to say this because I've seen some of you guys in this church, and I'm going to tell you straight up. Remember that leadership thing I was talking about, so bear listen to me now. <laughs> Spaghetti or noodles, you cannot have with dodo. No, you cannot have with dodo. You must not have it. Rice, you don't take white rice and stew. You don't mix it with salad that has mayonnaise or salad cream. They are not meant to go because tomatoes, blended tomato and oil should not mix with salad. You don't do that. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. The, 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 hello, uh, you see that leader, elder thing I was talking about? So can you submit now? Thank you. Good. Now, what I'm trying to say is that when the wrong mixture is done, things can be disastrous. And when you mix sin and blend it with Christianity, it always leads to a disaster. You see, in our final sermon of the series, we will see how we tend to want to eat our cake and have it. We want to remain and to be seen, to have our Christianity all together while going about living in specific sin. And all the other times, there's been, this sin has been somewhat explicit, but this one is quite cunning. And the reason this happens is because sin loves to blend. So what we're going to see in this sermon is how this happens, but how we can overcome it by, through the gospel. So that takes me to this sermon we've called Sin Loves to Blend, and we'll look at it under three headings. Blended religion, communal religion, and gospel religion. Blended religion, communal religion, and gospel religion. So... We're reading the book of Judges, and Judges is probably the most messed up book in the Bible. Of the six, six books in the Bible, it's probably the most messed up book. It's number seven, and basically what happens in the book of Judges is telling you the story of, you have these people in the first five books of the Bible, these people that have descended from Abraham, they're now called Israel, they, le they leave Egypt in the book of Exodus, they wander through the wilderness in Leviticus and Numbers. By Deuteronomy, they are going to their own land that God has promised them. In the book of Joshua, they actually enter into that land. They feed the people that were there, and now they settle. Now, the book of Judges is what happens after the generation that enter the promised land, the lives that they lived there. It's divided into three sections. The first one is from verse one to verse, chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, verse 6. And you're basically just giving an introduction. Then the larger section is from 37 to 1631, and you are seeing the life of the people called judges, who are deliverers, who helped God's people. I think we had a series on that about three years ago, um, and so you can check that out. And then the final section, from chapter 17 to 21, the final part of the book, I think this part of the book should come with an R18 warning. I'm not just about to read this part of the book to my eight-year-old child. Like, you need to filter a lot of things that happen there, because... The stuff that happens is just crazy. And it all starts with this um, uh, reading that um, who read? Sharon read for us in this, in this um, chapter 17. It's a story about mixture, a story about mixture. So we're introduced to this guy called Mika and his family. Let's talk about Mika's mom first. She's not a woman of virtue. Um, she's that woman that you know that on the one hand, they are cursing somebody on the right hand. And on the other hand, they are blessing somebody else in the name of the Lord. Do you know somebody like that? They know how to, you know, when, when they say, you know, well-crafted curses, bring it down. 
And yet, when they are blessing people, you're like, ah, man, this woman is a wonderful woman of God. That would make us mom. Notice, somebody stole, she noticed that some of her silver was taken away. And then she cursed. Unfortunately, it was her son, Mika, that took the thing. So he said, mom, in verse 2, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, and about which I heard you utter a curse. The woman cursed. <laughs> I said, I'm the, mommy, I'm the one that took it. <laughs> Don't allow your curse follow me. Now I said, hey, you're the one. Now I said, Yahweh, that's the Lord. Yahweh, bless you, my son. Cursing there, and then she's blessing. Same woman. Blessing and cursing mixed together, no problem. Salad and white rice. And, you know, anyway. Um, but again, you think that was not bad. You think that's just the way she lived. Uh, that, that was just an inc um, incidental thing. But no. After she got the 1,100 shekels back, she now took some of it, right? And you know what she, she wanted? She said, I want to consecrate it to, to Yahweh. In this verse 3, I'm consecrating it to the Lord, right? And that's to set it apart for, for something good. I'm going to set it apart for something good for the Lord. But you know what that something good was? She said, I consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. She used it to make an idol. Consecrated to the God who forbids the making of an idol. You cannot make this thing up. How are those two things able to exist? But you know the thing, one good thing that she did was that she raised her children well. She was able to replicate herself in her son. Because here you have this guy called Mika, and Mika had a shrine at home. He had a shrine at home, and in that shrine, verse 5, he said it's not that he had one god. He had household gods, plenty gods there. And that's okay. He has, he has declared he's not following the religion of his mom. He's not following the religion of his mom. In his household gods, he took one of his children to be priest. He found out this is not good enough. Maybe the guy wasn't that anointed, you know. So he now notices later that there's a guy, a priest, a Levite, so Israel had 12 tribes, and one of those tribes, only one of those tribes were allowed to do the holy things of God in the house of God, the temple of God, and that's the Levite. So he now said, ah, this my son is not really a Levite. All right, he fires his son, right? Sometimes nepotism has its, its uh, limits. So he fires his son. He now calls this Levite, and he now installs him as his priest. Priest over what? Over his shrine, where he has what? Household gods. He has... He's priest. So he thanks God, ah, a priest from the tribe of Levi. So I'm okay with God, even though it was over his household gods. And just to show you that he thought he was doing the right thing, why did he say he did this? He says, now I know, verse 13, now I know that the Lord will be good to me. Why? Since this Levite has become my priest. This is what, the technical term for this is what we call syncretism. Syncretism. What's syncretism? Syncretism is the amalgamation or the mixing of different religious forms, different religions or the forms of religion. So imagine today I say I am a Buddhist, but I also say as a Buddhist, so as a Buddhist, I also believe, now Buddhists usually don't believe that there is existence of any personal God, right? But I'm a Buddhist, but also I believe that there's only one God and Muhammad is his prophet. How does that sound? That's syncretism, all right? Or let's say you're an Ifa practitioner, right? And so you believe in Dorisha, you believe in the people that have departed, 
they are watching over your ancestors and all that. But you don't believe your ancestors necessarily come back. You can say the characters or the spirit of the ancestor can come back, you know, Abiku and all of those things. But you don't really believe that people come back and are something else. But you meet this Iva practitioner who then says, do you know that you, I believe you can be reincarnated as a cat in your next life? How about that? So this is an Ifa uh, adherent that also believes in some aspects of Hinduism, and he likes the two together. And then the other one you had, a Buddhist that also believes in central tenets of Islam. This is what syncretism is. Now, you can't really say with syncretism that they actually really believe that religion or worshiping the God because the forms are just so mixed together. They create a new religion on its own. Syncretism always creates its own brand new religion. But you know this thing doesn't only just work for organized religion, religions like the ones I've just quoted. It also works for other kinds of things that we don't know we're religious in. So for instance, take here Lagos. Lagos is called the center of what? Excellence. Now, I want you to know that, especially if you are a Lagosian, and you say center of excellence, that is a goal. Your goal is to be excellent, right? But Lagos is the center of excellence as a goal. What it really is, is the center of hustle. Do you understand what I mean? The center of hustle. You are, when you enter into Lagos, you enter as a hustler, right? A hustler. But your goal is to become an excellent person. Do you understand? So how do you move from the life of being a hustler to now a life of excellence. How do you do it? I'll tell you. You need the excellent God of the hustler. Word. All right? The excellent God of the hustler, what he does is that he takes somebody in his hustle. That's why we always say, God bless my hustle. So he takes your hustle, he pours blessing on it, and over a period of time, it leads to excellence. When you come to Lagos, you move from the hustler to being the excellent one. That's how people change from being, that's how your hustler becomes your excellency. Yeah. I'm preaching here today. You understand? It, it's, we even sing it in some of our religious songs. We do. Like, you know the famous one? The most excellency is Jesus keep on hustling. You've not heard that one before? Right? Exactly. Like, we mix it all up because this is the religion we have. Welcome to our own syncretic religion because what we really want is the benefit of our hustle and what we worship is the hustle blessing only God. What we feel is that we create a new religion like Mika did. Mika believed simply, simply by having the priest. God was going, God was going to be good to him despite the fact that he was breaking God's commandments about idols. And so many Lagosians believe that disobedience to God's laws, notwithstanding, so long as you have some form of spirituality, so long as you have some form of spirituality, God will be good to you in your hustle. Maybe you have money, and you're like, Mika, you're not building a shrine, but you're building a chapel in your house. Or maybe you don't have too much money, so you have a prophet that is on your retainer. You know that kind of, you need something just... Or maybe you just do online church. It's why I think, I, I'm not joking about this, that robbers and prostitutes have prayer meetings for God to bless their hustle. Or, okay, let's bring them more to home. Have you ever gone to renew your passport in the pastor's office? 
right? When they're doing, I've never seen people do praise and worship like those guys. They do it. And as they're doing that, they ask your guy, where's my own? From prayer meeting to, because you see that whole prayer meeting, what was it? They were praying to the God of the hustle. And you are now the vessel that was going to turn their hustle into excellence. Which is why also December 31st is the most attended service of the year. Most of the people that come to the, on December 31st, let's, I, I, let's, talk, let's talk to ourselves because some of us have done this thing. December 31st, yeah, because you are happy, oh my, I made it. I made it. Also, did I really make it? Okay, so now you are now you are drinking with your friends. You guys are drinking. Then it's like quarter to 12. Then you have to run because as long as I'm in church, when we cross over, how do you think I made it to the end this year? It was because I was in church during the crossover. I crossed over with God into this year. Therefore, I'm going to make it to the end of the year. That's how we think. So long as you keep some form, engage in some form of spirituality, it doesn't really matter what you do with your life. Because like Mika, his gods were in his house. So long as you have a domesticated God, he's always going to be pleased with you, no matter what you do, as long as you give him just a little bit of spirituality. Do you understand me? This thing is rampant throughout our society. In fact, we don't even know it. It's in our best cultural, cultural forms. I can tell you about, okay, I spoke about the song we sing in church. How about songs we sing outside of church, but all of us sing? I can think of four songs, for instance, that show you that this is our religion. Four songs that show you that this is our religion. So think about um, uh, this song. Now, let me first say, all the songs I'm going to quote, I like them. It's just, but they are also songs of this religion. So think about Ojo Elegba, for instance. What's wrong? What, what, what's Ojo Elegba telling us? In Ojo Elegba, they know my story. For Hold Up Studio, right? I've been what? Hustle to. So at some point, it now says, I, I can't sing it. I shouldn't sing it. But how can I say without not singing it? Are you a little young? Right? Are you a need double? But what will. Adura. Then after Adura, what does he say? Call on daddy. Which leads you to the next song. Somebody else took that song and said, Ah, call on daddy. Ah, Baba Godo. Eminofewa, range. Right? And then eventually, then says that, uh, uh, Answer my call because the other guy had told him. So answer my call. But when he's calling, who is he calling? Who is he calling? The main God is calling is the able God. Somebody that. Right? The able God that is able to give him that Range Rover. He's calling on the able God. Shower your. I want this. So you see where the real God is. The real God is the money. I want this money. Able God. So that when that able God blesses you and you get an alert, God what? God wins. <laughs> Welcome to our own religion. The religion, it's a syncretic religion. It is not an atheistic religion because this, we are not saying that there is no God. What we are saying, though, is that this God is our domesticated God. We decide what aspect of that God we like. And then, as long as I go to church, as long as I do some spiritual things, this God will be favorable to me. But he never, ever demands anything about my morality. And so sin is able to thrive there because sin is ignored. 
What is the problem? It tells you in verse 6 that in those days, everyone, there was no king in Israel, and so everybody did what? So he wants a priest without having a king. He wants a priest without having a king. What does that mean? He wants divine access without divine rule. He wants encouragement without rebuke. He wants empowerment without correction. He wants connection without instruction. Empathy without submission. Prayer without order. Singing without worship. Welcome to our religion. And sin thrives in this place because it is often always ignored. A few years ago, there was a tongue-speaking unmarried celebrity who went on her Instagram page, and I kid you not, not married, on her Instagram page, put some tongues that was worshipping God. Why? She was worshipping God openly for being pregnant. Unmarried. Now, I'm not trying to be, this is even part of the problem. The moment you have an opinion on that, the moment you have just an opinion on that, guess what? You are labeled well to be judgmental. Or you are labeled to be religious. How dare you judge? How dare you judge me? How dare you judge my relationship with God? Are you God? No, I'm not God. God has just spoken. That's all. And he says this is wrong. But you see what happens is we are able to compartmentalize. And we say, you know what? This whole morality thing, I really don't want it. But I still want this God to bless my hustle. And so I still give him something. And I still do some other things that show that I'm a Christian but I kick out this other part that makes me uncomfortable. Can I talk about sex and sexual activity? I want to talk about it because I used to think that we used to talk about it too much in the church. People in the church were always bashful. You people in the church are so fascinated about sex. Yeah, so let me tell you, yes, we are, because God is fascinated about sex. God created sex. God says sex is good. God says sex is helpful. God says sexual activity is wonderful, but you do it within his own rules. And the reason why the church talks about it, the reason why the Bible talks about it a lot is because if people were all obeying what God said about it, you know, what is there to talk about? So I too grew up and think, oh, the church always talks about sex all the time. Let me tell you, we don't talk enough about it. I'm talking about the church of today. We don't talk enough about it. Because too many people, and I, all the stories that keep coming to me, too many people are engaging in all manner of sexual activity in the church. And, but they are worshipping God. I remember um, a spiritual sister of mine, um, just not too long after Tosa and I returned from the UK, came back, and she, she wasn't married, so I was like, hey, how no? You know, she was, in, she was in her early 30s, just catching up and all that. So I was like, ah, any, any, anything, any guy on the scene or whatever. She just said, ah, oh, she's, she's tired, though. That's, she's had last five, six relationships just... You know, just the end boy. I said, ah, what happened? You know what she said? She said, um, now, I think of the six of them, five of them wanted sex before they got married. And she said, she can't do it. I now looked at her. I now said, it's your fault. It's your fault. Why would you be dating or going after guys that want sex before marriage? Why would you be going after unbelievers? And then she stopped and looked at me and said, where do you think I got them from? They're all Christians that go to church. Stuff is happening, guys. Let's not behave as though it isn't. And what I'm trying to say is that we've bought into this syncretistic religion that compartmentalizes what God has asked for. Why does this thing happen? I'll tell you why it happens. Back in verse 6, it said there, were, there was no king 
in Israel in those days. When God is not the king or you don't have any other king, guess who becomes king? Yourself. Everybody saw. Everybody did as they were saw fit. So they were the ones that then defined what was fit, what was right, and what was wrong. Many times we define what is right and what is wrong according to what we desire. And this is how we install the individual as king. So when there is a pushback, it's like somebody's preaching like, and eh, that's that one's own. Is any preacher perfect? If you, do you see what's happening? You are the one now judging. You install yourself as king. We say what is right and what is wrong. And yet we want to have a relationship with God. As long as we define the relationship. So we say, God, can I have this connection to you, the priest? But don't then tell me what to do with my life. Let me tell you quite honestly. If you continue in that way, you are under a curse, God's judgment curse. Deuteronomy 27, verse 15. Look at what it says. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the skilled hands, and sets up in secret. You see, when in verses 3 and verse 4, in verse 4, the mom, they're giving it to, um, uh, the money to uh, um, um, a silversmith, and he made what he said, he made a pestle. A pestle, where's verse 4? Uh, da, 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 to make an idol. The, it's called a pestle in Hebrew. And, but what she consecrated it to was to a masika, which is an image here. Pestle and masika. Now go back to Deuteronomy 27, verse 15. When he says, he says, Curse is anyone who makes a pestle and a thing which is detestable to the Lord, the work or the masika of skilled hands, and sets it up in secret. Is it that, listen, every single human being on earth has a relationship with God. The question is, is your relationship with God adversarial or is it a loving relationship? If you are trying to say, I have a wonderful relationship with God, and yet we don't talk about the sin issue and you're living in sin, that is the relationship that you have. It's one, in that time it was immediate temporal judgment, but now it is eternal judgment. Listen, self-rule, this kind of self-rule, this individualism does not lead to anything good. This individualism ruins that relationship, that relationship that you were made for to have with God. The reason why some people don't go full-blown atheists is that we know, we know that I, I am born to worship and have a relationship with God. It's just that what is demanding is too much. But I'm trying to tell you that if you don't submit in that regard, you, don't, you do have a relationship is just defined by that. Amen? So how do we get rid of this individualism? Because in this Lagos, this is the water that we're all drinking and swimming in. This is the air that we breathe. We want to have our own self-rule. And as Christians, we've bought into that. So how can we combat it? Well, let's go to the second point. Second point is communal religion. Now, the answer to this is this. So the solution is self-rule, or replace self-rule with God's rule in community. Replace self-rule with God's rule in God's community. I'll say, uh, repeat after me. Replace self-rule with God's rule in God's community. Now, in this 17 to 21, chapter 17, 21, the final section of the book of Judges, three times, it wasn't just in 17 verse 6 that he says that, they, uh, they had no king. In 18 verse 1, it also repeats it. At the end of the book, 21 verse 25, it also says it. 
in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone, saw as they, everyone did as they saw fit. This was the problem. And this problem led to self-rule, which also then led to a private religion. This was Israel's problem. The individualism that they had adopted then resulted in them having their own private religion. So how do you combat that? Well, the first thing is with that self-rule, you need to uh, replace it with God's rule. And when we talk about God's rule, as we see in the Old Testament, it always uses this word shepherding, shepherding. Psalm 18 verse 1, for instance, says this. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim shine forth. God is always described as the one sitting on the ark between the cherubims. And notice what he says here. He is the shepherd of Israel. Most times when we think of shepherd, we just think of somebody who is guiding us. And no, but he's saying to be a shepherd is that he's your king. Think about Psalm 23. Next time you read it, the Lord is my. He's not just talking about him being so tender to you. He's also saying he's the one that instructs. He's the one that rules. He's the one that is king. So are you your own shepherd or is God your shepherd? Now again, in Israel, because God was not going to be physically present in the body, what did God do? God then had mediators, mediator kings. So the book of Judges is also well positioned and written because what are the books? Think of the three books that come after the book of Judges or even the five books. After the book of Judges, you have the book of Ruth, which at the very beginning tells you is written in the time of the Judges. What is Ruth about? It's about a family who God saves and does some wonderful things in. But eventually, the lineage of that family, the lineage of that family at the end of the book of Ruth leads you to the person we are now going to talk about in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, the books I follow after. That is King David. So they move from a time of judges to the time of kings. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Because not having a king led to where they were. Now, remember, God is described as shepherd and king. So when God is then appointing his ideal king, what do you think he's going to describe him as? Look at Psalm 78, 72, 71. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep. He brought him to be what? Shepherd of? David ruled in God's stead so that God's laws could be authoritative over his people so that they would not live under self-rule as they saw fit. The king was there to say, here are the rules of this kingdom that our God has given us, and with the authority that I have, I have to ensure that the people are living under these rules. So to deal with the self-rule, we go under the rule of God, and God's mediated rule through human presence. Amen? But then the second thing is private religion. Micah, as you notice in verse 5, it says that he had some household gods. Notice that. Household gods. What Micah shouldn't have done, he had household god and a household priest. But there was the house of God at Shiloh, as you see in verse 18, verse 31. What Micah should have done was to replace private worship or personal private worship with his household gods. He should have replaced that with congregational worship in the house of God. He should have replaced his own domesticated priest with the priest of God in Shiloh. That's how we deal with the self-rule and we deal with the private religion. But then the next thing you're going to say is, but 
That's, that, that's Israel. I'm not an Israelite. I'm not a Jew. I know some Hebrews think they are Jews, but let's leave that one aside. But we don't have Israel here. So how does this apply to me? Where can I find the house of God, this temple? Where can I find it? How does it relate to a 21st century Lagosian? Is there truly a house of God for us? 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 tells us, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to condemn themselves where? In God's household. What is God's household? He tells you, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. So all of a sudden, how you are going to do, leave this God's rule in God's community has to then do with the church and not yourself. He said, oh, the temple, yes, that's what it is. In fact, God says, when we gather together, we are now that temple. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. What does it say? It says, don't you know that you yourselves, and he's saying yourselves together, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your Meets. Why? Because the temple was a meeting place between God and man. And if God, the Spirit, is among us, then we, together, collectively, are God's temple, his household. And so however we think about the application of this, how we get rid of the individualism to our context, it has to do with the church. The church isn't a physical structure where people go, but it is a spiritual people who are structured. And so when you think about us as a church, why do we have to be in community? And I'm not just talking about as wonderful as it is to come on Sunday. That is part of what we do as a community. Collective worship. It's part. It's not all. Just like a family isn't just made up of when they gather together to eat on the dining table. It's part of what they do. But it's not all if they're truly a family. Quite often you have many people who just come. One day somebody just yells out, we don't even live as a family. And often, what do they say when they, what do they mean when they say that? We don't do things together. So I want to ask you, are you really a member of this church? Are you really a part of a community? And the way we do, we can diagnose that is, do we do things together? Because we are called to live together as a community who love one another, who look out for one another, who keep one another accountable. That word, uh, that phrase, one another, do a search of it, just in the epistles of the New Testament, you'll see that it occurs over 40 times. How do you live out the commandments to one another if you just come in on a Sunday and come out? If you don't live out those commandments and you're living out your own commandments, who is king then? You are king, but coming on Sunday gives you a, a modicum of spirituality. You see, God gives us as a community together. It's not just to do those things. You see, you can't see God's full picture on your own. How do you grow? You can't grow properly on your own. You say, well, I listen to a podcast. I'll... Yes, that's one thing, but you cannot. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of one another, one another, and do what? Let us consider. When we meet together, let us consider how we can spur one another onto love and good deeds. Spiritual maturity comes when we come together. It says, don't forsake the assembly of the saints as some people do. Are you the one, are you part of the people that forsake? Or are you part of the people that hear that call? Guys, listen. There's always a one another thing. I'm doing something and you are doing something. I'm getting something, you are, you are giving something. You need to serve and be served. 
You need to give and receive. You need to rejoice alongside and be rejoiced with. You need to mourn alongside and be mourned with. This is how you get rid of private religion and self-rule. But there's one more to say about, about the church, which is this. That the church, when you think about the structure, remember I said that it's a people who are structured. This community is structured into leaders and the led. In other words, remember that God mediates his rule through humans. Now look at some of these, these leaders. Paul speaks to some of these leaders and notice the name he calls them in Acts chapter 20 verse 17 to 28. Paul planted a church in the city of Ephesus and he left, came back. He didn't come to Ephesus. He went to an island and he sent for some people from that church. Notice, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the, who, for the what? Elders of the church. So they're called elders. In verse 28, he's now instructing them. What does he say? Keep watch over yourselves, but also the flock of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. So the elders are also called what? Overseers. Overseers, the, the old word we used to use is bishop, right? The church, the, the elders are also overseers. They're elders because of their spiritual maturity, but they're overseers because they oversee the affairs of the house of God. Then he then says, do what? Be, see that word has come again. Be what? Shepherd of the church of God, which he bought with his blood. Now, they are not shepherds in the same sense that God is shepherd. They are shepherds under the true shepherd. They are what we can call under shepherds. But they are watching over the souls of the people. And now, you can't just follow them willy-nilly. Remember, if they are under shepherds, they, are not, they must not be trying to govern you by their own laws and their own instructions that contradicts the word of God. You have to examine them. Are these people worthy of being called elders? If they are, then you imitate them. And if you can imitate them, if they're worthy of imitating, then they're worthy of being submitted to. This is what Hebrews 13 tells us. Look at Hebrews 13, 7 and 7, uh, 17. Remember your leaders who what, spoke not their word, but the word of God to you. Because they cannot mediate their own authority. They really don't have one. Their authority is derivative. So remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Then consider, consider the outcome of their way of life. And if it is worth, if you've considered it and you find that they are good uh, 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 people, then you should do what? Imitate them. But if they are worthy of imitation, then verse 17, have confidence in them. Not that they are perfect, but have confidence in them if they have been qualified. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, knowing that their authority is not theirs because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. Many people want to live for themselves and say, I, 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 no, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want, no, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. See what it's saying. It's not of benefit to you. Now, I know some will hear this, especially if you are still drinking from this water of individualism. You hear this, and once you see one word there, it makes you cringe. It's the word submit. Submit. Now, I think I know why it makes some of us cringe. Part of the reason is some of us have been or have seen um, what we call abusive leadership. 
And by abusive leadership, I'm talking about a kind of overbearing and manipulative control which is designed to exclusively serve the leader's desires. Notice that the leadership, the authority that God gives to these people, is to ensure the building up of the people that they lead. But when leadership becomes overbearing, wants to control every aspect of your life, is deceitful, is trying to manipulate you into certain things, and then what's the end goal? The end goal is to prop up that leader. That is abusive leadership. And if any of you have suffered that kind of leadership, can I just apologize? I don't know whether you suffered it under me. So, but I'm just saying, I, I can understand that. It's a terrible thing. Many people, it takes them a lot of time to recover if you've been under that kind of leadership. Or maybe sometimes we just see people who are deviating so far away from God. We're trying to see, we're seeing pastors that just want to build their own pocket or build their own fame. And so when you hear the word submit, you're like, I don't think I can do that. Now, if you have seen abusive leadership, you've been under it, or you've seen the kind of platform building, money making kind of uh, pastorship, can I just tell you, quite frankly, it is wrong. And it's not just wrong, it is sinful. And guess what? That is why you are meant to examine the leaders first. Consider their way of life. So let me tell you straight up. This call for you to submit to leaders, it first starts with examining them. Examine the leaders. If they are unfit, according to the word of God that you see, you know what you are meant to do? If you are still in that church, talk about it. Try to express your view. If it's still if, they don't, if nobody reacts or sees anything, you know what you should do after that? Leave. Because that place is not a healthy place for you to be in. And anywhere you find an unhealthy leadership, it is very difficult for that church itself to be healthy. Do you understand me? So examine it. If it is found to be unworthy of what the word of God has said, then you should leave. But also examine it. And if you find that they are fit, then you know what you should do. Even when it's not always comfortable, you should submit to that leadership. Amen? Or else you will not be able to combat the individualism that leads to that kind of private religion which God condemns. So as we leave, what God is calling us to do is to submit to a healthy leadership in a healthy community. But if you keep saying, oh, you don't know what I've suffered, you don't know what I've... And then you refuse to submit to any kind of leadership, what you're coming against is the structure. And guess what? If you read the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you will find that Israel had a lot of bad kings. God never then said, get rid of the monarchy. Why? Because it was God that put in that structure. The mere fact that you have seen abuse of leadership in the church doesn't mean that you get rid of that structure in your own mind and your function of your life. What you look for is the right kind of leadership and submit to that. Are we together? So examine the leaders. Examine us. But you're doing that, let's examine you as well. By me saying that, because I do find that there are about at least about four kinds of identities when I look around in how people relate to church. So I want you to ask yourself, which one do you belong to? All right, so let's consider four identities. First one is who we call the loner. Are you a loner? Now I'm just talking about in relation to church. Who is the loner? The loner is that person, due to many different reasons, what, uh, that some of which I've already spoken about, is that person who says... I love Jesus, so I just don't love the church. So my life is, I do my personal devotion. 
I do church online. You know, church online is, you know, they can't preach to themselves. So what they just do is that they listen to their favorite pastor in Canada or in Australia, right? And then, and this one is one, this one is wonderful. This one happens. This is Lekki's own thing, Lekki and VI. They are part of midweek fellowships here and there. You know, there are fellowships all around. Fellowships. I don't, just say, ah, what church do you go to? Uh, I don't really go to a church. There's a, a group of us we meet on a Tuesday. I, I, there are friends of there's a friend of mine, she goes to at least about three or four. She's a veteran. Fellowship. She goes to the one where they laugh in the spirit, and then she goes to another one where the Bible study can be like three hours. She she's just all around. But Sunday, ah no, organized, ah no, 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 I don't do that. Elona. Because largely our Christianity is she alone or he alone with Jesus. Are you a loner? Well, let me first say, if you're a loner, I don't even expect to see you here. So. But are you a loner? It's not an ideal way to live. Second, not to far away from the loner, is the browser. The browser, who is the browser? Mm. Now, the browser irregularly attends on Sundays. So it's not that they are saying, I want to do it on my own, I don't go to church. No. They come to church. They really believe that there's something. There's some, you know, there's some value in coming to church. Now, it has to work within their program. Like, they couldn't have been working. If they work late on Saturday, it's, once they wake up and they don't really feel it, then, you know, or, man, ah, who's preaching today? Oh, man, you remember who, the way that person smiled at you? No. I'm not. So they come once in two weeks. Then after two weeks, they come three weeks. After three weeks, they give it another two months, you know? And anytime they come, they want to ensure that the pastor knows that they came. And so they smile at the pastor. And let me tell you what the pastor does. You know what he does? He smiles back. But not for the reason they think he's smiling. They're like, ah, okay, pastor saw me. Hey, he knows that. And he's smiling. He's like, hey, yeah, when will this one grow? They're browsing, and when they feel like, they browse out. Now, don't get me wrong, this is better. No, this is less worse than a loner. Right? At least you shall come. And you are doing us a favor by coming. I'm just wondering whether you are doing your own self a favor. It says because this will be of no benefit to you. Third, because there are levels. Let's move to the next level. Is the uncommitted. The uncommitted. Now, let me tell you this. The uncommitted actually believes they are committed. They actually believe they are committed. Who is the uncommitted? The uncommitted regularly attends on Sunday. They, are, they regularly attend on Sunday, but they do nothing else. In fact, by regularly attending on Sunday, they will tell you that they are church, that they, ah, this is, I'm the full member of this church. But they are not giving regularly, neither are they serving regularly. Or both. They don't care to know anybody. Well, you know, they take pride in, let's say you are in a conversation. They've been going to this church for three years, you're in a conversation, and you just drop one name. And they're like, oh, I don't know who that is. And they say it with some kind of gospel, some kind of pride. Like, I don't, I don't know people here, you know. I just do my own thing. Don't give regularly. Don't serve regularly. They double in, double out. But if there's something they find wrong in the church, they will let you know, and they will let you know very clearly. Again, because they feel they are committed, but actually they aren't committed in the way God tells you to. And again, they are able to tell you what they think is wrong. What they think is wrong. The moment you tell them about something that you think is wrong, they immediately push back or they are very defensive. At this point, you have now crossed. You have crossed over. Ah, now wow. Is it because I come every Sunday? Is it because I've been smiling with you? 
as they uncommitted. Luna, hands up. Browser, are you here? Uncommitted, are you here? I'm not saying all of these things to shame us. But if you continue to assume those identities, make no mistake, sin will thrive. And you say, no, I don't care what you think. Well, the sin is just already thriving as you're saying that. Because what you are trying to say is that it is only what I think about the religion that matters. And this is not the way God has called you to live. Is God your shepherd or are you your shepherd? When you say that prayer, I am my shepherd, I shall not want. Then you'll want so much if you are your shepherd. The final is a member. Who are the members? They are not perfect people. In fact, they are in church because, are members because they know they are not perfect people. They regularly attend on Sundays and other days. They serve regularly. Even when it's difficult for them, they are learning to practice submission. They actually do care to know people because this is meant to be my family. So how can I not know the people in my family? But all of these things, is not just that they're ticking boxes, ticking boxes, ticking boxes. Actually, the heart is, I am meant to be part of a community. And if I'm meant to really integrate and in this community, it has to affect my giving. If I'm receiving spiritually from a particular place, how won't I be giving materially? If I'm receiving spiritually regularly, how won't I be giving regularly? If I'm receiving spiritually, how would I be serving regularly? How would I know the people? How would I care? How do I know who to pray for? How do I know who to encourage? If I'm not part of this community, so their regular attendance, their regular serving, their regular embeddedness is with the goal of achieving God's commandment and that which benefits them. And let me tell you something, if you are embedded in that kind of thing, I am not saying that you'll be perfectly sinless, but let me tell you, you are on your way to combating sin. So I'm asking you, as you examine the leaders, as you consider the leaders, can you consider yourself? Which one are you? If you fall into any of the first three, I'm not here to condemn you, but I'm here to correct you. Can you consider going to four? Don't live your life as a Christian tourist. Don't live your life as a Christian hopper, a Christian consumer. Live your life as a member which is, who is embedded in community because it's what God has commanded but it is also of benefit to you. This is how you live under God's rule in God's community. Amen? Amen. And that takes me to my final point. Now, you may have heard all I've said and then think, oh, so I get it. Um, how I establish a relationship with God is to obey church authority and be in community. Wrong? That's not what I've said. That's not what establishes your relationship. That's you living a relationship. Here's what I mean. I don't know if any of us here have ever been, have you ever been in a relationship um, with someone, a romantic relationship with someone that you didn't know of? As in you were in a relationship with the person, but you just didn't know you were in a relationship with the person. That you guys were dating, but the person had to tell you, sure you know we are dating. <laughs> now, you, know, you laugh about it. <laughs> you laugh about it. This thing happened to me, oh. It happened to me years ago. Apparently, two people were fighting and saying something about, ah, but Fem, it was even my parents that told me that Femi, Femi, that I'd, I'd literally proposed to this person. I said, eh? It wasn't. I said, all I used to do was to hug. I banished hugging for my life. 
And I was doing sister, brother, hugo. I, so until I got married, I said, until I meet my wife, I'm not going to be hugging anybody. Now I hug, I hug back because everybody knows my wife. So apparently I was in a relationship with these people, but I just, they were letting me know about it. I, 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 can, can I get a witness in here? No, have you all, okay, you are the ones that have relationship with people they don't know. I, oh, hear me. I understand, I understand. But here's the thing. Let's say I spotted as I did spot my wife once, and I said, that person, I love her qualities. I like the things that are in her. I would like, I would love to see her impact in my life over, for the rest of my life. What do I need to do to make that happen? I would like to see that person, I would like to see that person's impact in my life, every day of my life for the rest of my life, in a deep way. What do I need to do to make that happen? Here's what I need to do to make that happen. Or here's what I don't do to make that happen. It's not by just, I don't just wake up on the person's bed, just like that, every morning. We don't just um, sleep together. We don't just eat together. Before all of those things happen, you know what happens? I have to establish that relationship first, and the relationship has to be a secure relationship. That is what we call marriage. Do you understand me? Because as long as you are dating, you know it's not really secure. So stop making plans. Stop thinking too much in the future when you are dating with somebody. If they've not yet, as Beyonce said, put a ring on it. You know what I mean. Right? When you have a secure relationship, it is within the secure relationship that you can now start to live out together and you can grow together. Tosin's impact on my life has happened because Tosin and I established a secure relationship. Do you understand? Now, the impact that she has, the day-to-day -day things that she does to my life is not how the relationship was established. The relationship was established first to enable the environment for those things to then happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything we've spoken about, about our connection to God, the priestly dimension, and also living out under God's rule, right, the kingly dimension, are the things that happen when we are in relationship with God. But that is not how you establish the relationship with God. Amen. If it was just a compilation of you doing what was right and being in community and you praying and doing all of those things, you will never reach the perfection that enables you to establish the relationship with God. You need something else. But as we said, we have a problem. The problem is in some ways, whether we are at the extreme or in some other ways, whether we are lower, at the lower end of the extreme, we, our relationship with God is already being ruined because we are under a curse because of our blended sin. How do we get rid of that? There is an adversarial relationship we have with God. How is that turned around? If the priestly and the kingly dimension is there to grow our relationship with God, how then do we establish a secure relationship with God to then grow? You know what we need? We need a priest and a king as well. So is that confusing? I just thought you said that the priest and the kingly part was to be able to grow. Yes, but the priest and the kings were also there to do some other things. So for instance, the priests were there to offer sacrifices for sin so that the relationship with God was actually intact. And then the king was there to fight against the people's enemies. Because of our blended sin, what has then happened is that we are now under the curse of sin. Sin's consequence is death. The sin keeps us away from God, and yet there is a consequence for sin, which is death. This is why we cannot have a relationship with God. What we need is a priest that can offer a sacrifice that establishes that relationship. What we need is a king that can defeat the enemy of death. Are we together? How? 
where do we get our priest king? Now, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I just like to fantasize about ideals. Like, what if Lagos was like Vienna? You know, what if we had trains going up and down, both underground trains and railroad trains? You know, what, what, wouldn't that be nice? What if I was able to employ a, 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 a three-star Michelin chef, my own personal one? It may not happen, but you never know. Somebody may be here who is a <laughs> destiny maker and can make that happen for me. Sometimes I like to fantasize. Can we fantasize a little bit? Where do we get this priest? And where do we get this king? Let me give you an, a, 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 an ideal situation. Because here's the other thing. The other problem with the priests and the kings of the Old Testament and all priests and kings that we see is that they die. This priest, as we see with all the other priests, let's say I said we have to offer a sacrifice that helps us with our relationship with God. But how is that going to continue to manage when the priest will eventually die? So the relationship with God cannot be secured or permanent. And guess what? I need a king to fight over uh, uh, sin's consequences, which is death. But all the kings died. So there's no king that can fight against death because all of them are overcome by death. So play this fantasy game with me. What if we had an eternal priest king? A priest king. So I'm not saying a priest or a king. All the priests could not be kings in the Old Testament. Neither could the kings be priests. But just what if, play with me, we could have a priest king that could never die. What if? Well, first of all, actually, do you know that? Yes, none of the Levitical priests could be king. And yes, none of the Davidic kings could be priests. But there was a priest king in the Old Testament. The guy's name, we are, we are told about, reminded about him in Hebrews 7. You know what his name is? Melchizedek. He says, this Melchizedek was king of Salem, but at the same time he was what? The priest of the Most High God. Wow, so there is a possibility to have a priest king, but this Melchizedek, well, I th he died, he died. But can we have somebody that is a priest king like Melchizedek, in the order of Melchizedek, who will live forever? Well, one day David was thinking about it. He too was playing this fantasy game. And he was caught into a vision and he saw that God said to him, the Lord said unto my Lord, Psalm 110, do sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That is the king who fights the enemies. And in verse 4, he says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, that Lord, the, small, the, small, the, uh, the cap, uh, lowercase Lord, you, that Lord, who is the king, you are a priest forever in what? The order of Melchizedek. In other words, God is saying, I see, I hear what you are saying, David. For you to have a, an everlasting relationship with me, you need a priest king. And we have already have a pattern of that priest king in Melchizedek. But now we no longer just need someone like Melchizedek. We need somebody who will last forever. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 15 to 16 also says this, thinking about this thing. It says, and we have said, what we have said is even more clear, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of what say together, the power of an indestructible life. What if we had a priest king that had an indestructible life? What if we had a priest king that could offer up sacrifice that would once and for all secure our relationship with God? What if we had a priest king who not only stared death in its face, but conquered death itself? What if we had that priest king? Where would we find that priest king? 
God is a God who keeps his promises. And I can tell you, you see, that priest king, when Micah appointed his priest, the priest was, though he was a Levite, he came from Bethlehem in Judah. And God is saying, I have seen your issue. I have seen your predicament. And I have seen how you cannot achieve this victory on your own. And so what I'm going to show you is you don't have to follow the way of Micah. You don't have to just have your own priest. You don't have to live as a king of yourself. I will give you an eternal priest king in the order of Melchizedek who also comes from the line of Judah. Let us read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 to 25 together. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives. King Jesus conquered death when priest Jesus offered himself by taking the curse for our sins. But he secures this relationship because he rose up victorious now to rule God's kingdom and to intercede for them forever. King Jesus looked at the enemies of Satan, sin, death. He conquered them in the death and his resurrection and now he is waiting for all his enemies to be made his footstool. As Hebrews 10, 23, uh, 10 12 and 13 says, but when this priest had offered for, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Guys, understand this. To grow in your relationship with God, you don't need a prophet somewhere you don't need one priest somewhere. You don't need to form the, the, the religion on your own. You, don't, you are not meant to call and write the rules and change it because of one perceived abuse here or one thing there. What you need is a priest king who takes that curse for you. Jesus is that person. He establishes this secure relationship with God and now he's saying, let me be your king. Let me be your priest. I will intercede for you forever. My yoke as I rule is not burdensome. Do you want to develop? Do you want to take sin seriously? Live for me. How do I do that, Jesus? The church is my body. I am the head. But what about the leaders? They are my under shepherds. How are they meant to rule? Not as lords but over you as my shepherds. Jesus says, I love you so much, I die for you, but I'm also so strong and mighty for you that I have risen. I can defeat all your enemies and my intercession for you will hold you together. Why not go to Jesus and not have your own priest? Why not go to Jesus and not be your own king? I pray that we'll take this sin seriously. I pray that many of us will move from whether we are loners, whether we are browsers or uncommitted and now become people who are members of God's church. But I, say, I pray also that as we've considered this entire series, we'll see that even though sin is deadly, even though sin is deceptive, even though sin blends, even though sin blinds, there is a God in Jesus Christ that is greater than it all. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit 
www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos. <laughs>